The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-hosts are Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime, and we also thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, we thank you for listening. In our What's the Law segment, Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch will share his view on important areas of Tennessee law that you will find to be both interesting and educational. During our Inside the Court segment, District Attorney General Jennings Jones will tell you about recent and upcoming grand jury, general sessions, and circuit court activity. In our Call to Conviction segment, I will highlight the tragic and senseless 2002 murder of 28-year-old Corey Talley. With us today to discuss that case is Captain David Haley from the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. You are listening to The Action Line on your good neighbor station, WGNS. Dave Ramsey, America's most trusted money expert. The Dave Ramsey Show, live each day from 1 to 4 on WGNS Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Don't throw away cabinets, furniture, and appliances. Donate it to the Habitat Restore. We have had increase in costs for lumber and building materials, so our houses now cost about 120000 Shop at the Habitat Restore and help others achieve the dream of home ownership. We have many wonderful success stories, and we're so proud of our homeowners. The Habitat Restore, 850 Mercury Boulevard. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street, across from the tall NHC building. All of the proceeds that we generate from our store goes directly back into the ministry for those programs that Greenhouse has. So we would just encourage people to come out and take a look. The Garden Patch offers competitive prices on name brand clothing, furniture, large appliances, household items, toys, and more. Shopping at the Garden Patch helps Greenhouse Ministries inspire, give hope, and change lives. The Garden Patch Thrift Shop on Spring Street in downtown Murfreesboro. I'm Storm 5 meteorologist Bree Smith. You want to hear what my favorite weather sounds like? Take a listen. Calm. But calm doesn't always happen in Murfreesboro, does it? As far as the Rutherford County storm is concerned, yes, rotation, a significant threat. We both know Murfreesboro and Rutherford County have seen more than their fair share of severe weather. If you are in Rutherford County, you just stay in that most interior room until we can give you the all clear. So when storms roll in, I want you to be ready to feel safe. Everybody there, you stay with us, you stay in your safe spot, we'll let you know when you can come out. Let the Storm 5 weather team protect you and your family, neighborhood by neighborhood. You are informed and you are prepared. You are in a good place to handle anything that comes your way. Murfreesboro, you're always on our radar. 
Brotherford Issues with Brian Barrett. Weekday mornings at 10. WGNS, your good neighbor station. Brotherford County's place to talk. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented solely for the informational benefit of our listening audience. You should always consult with an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Good morning, listeners, and thank you again for having me as part of your show, Jay Paul. This morning, I would like to briefly tell you about some upcoming changes in our laws, specifically in the area of sentencing. In Tennessee, we have felony offenses and misdemeanor offenses. Felony offenses are more serious crimes. They're more serious crimes than misdemeanors. Felony offenses resulting in a sentence to serve may result in a prison sentence, whereas misdemeanor offenses may be served at a local jail or workhouse. This upcoming year, our legislators have enacted some pretty significant changes when it comes to sentences for certain felony offenses. Felony offenses are separated into classes. You have class A, B, C, D, and E felony classifications. Convicted felons are classified by offender statuses. You may have a mitigated, a standard, a multiple, a persistent, or a career offender. Additionally, each status has what's called a red percentage or an R-E-D percentage. That stands for Release Eligibility Date Percentage. For mitigated, it's either 20% or 30%. For standard, it is 30%. For a multiple, it's 35%. For persistent, it's 45%. And for a career, it's 60%. That's the percentage of time an inmate must serve before being eligible for release on parole. So, if a defendant received a six-year sentence to serve as a standard 30% offender, they must serve about 1.8 years before being eligible for, per, or per, for release on parole. However, that still may be reduced by other factors. So, no one can really say how long a person will serve before being released. Well, Senate Bill 2248 which takes effect on July 1st, 2022, and applies to offenses committed on or after that date, changes that for certain offenses. The Cliff Notes versions of the bill is that there shall be no release eligibility for a person convicted of committing one of the following offenses. What that means is the person must serve 100% of that sentence imposed by the court. The offenses they've applied that to are attempted first-degree murder, second-degree murder, vehicular homicide by intoxication, aggravated vehicular homicide, especially aggravated kidnapping, especially aggravated robbery, carjacking, and especially aggravated burglary. In regards to those particular offenses, the process still remains the same. An individual will either enter a plea or they are entitled to a trial by jury. If a jury convicts them, these matters are set for a separate sentencing hearing. At that particular sentencing hearing, a judge hears factors presented by both the state 
and the defense if they so choose. The court will then set the sentence within the appropriate range by making a determination as to A, what classification of offense it is, B, what offender status the individual is, whether or not they are the standard, mitigated, standard, multiple, persistent, or career, and then set the sentence and determine if they were to serve that sentence in its entirety or if they were to sentence to serve a portion of that sentence. With all of these particular sentences, these will be sentences that the judge's discretion has been removed when it comes to the percentage on where they will be as far as the classification. These will all be served at 100%. There will be no release eligibility date for these type offenses. Additionally, this bill requires a person to serve 100% of the sentence imposed by the court, but may be reduced up to 15% for satisfactory program performance. So that means no less than 85% of a sentence must be served for parole eligibility for the following offenses. Aggravated assault, if a deadly weapon was used, if strangulation was used or attempted, if serious bodily injury or death occurred, or if it's against a first responder or a nurse. Following offenses are including offenses of voluntary manslaughter, vehicular homicide by recklessness, drag racing, or conduct causing death in a construction zone. Also includes reckless homicide, aggravated kidnapping, involuntary labor servitude, trafficking persons for forced labor or services, aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary, aggravated arson, possessing or using a firearm during a dangerous felony or attempt to commit a dangerous felony, manufacture, sale, deliver of a controlled substance if such is an A, B, or C felony, then persons have at least two prior convictions for manufacture, sale, delivery of a controlled substance where they were A, B, or C felonies, and criminally negligent homicide. Now, to explain the previous one with the drugs just a little bit, we have a variety of different drugs that are sold and considered controlled substances. They may be marijuana, they may be cocaine, it may be a variety of different pills that could be considered prescription pills but are obtained illegally. It could be more significant or, or harmful drugs such as heroin, methamphetamine, LSD, a variety of drugs. These drugs are broken down into classifications of felonies. A felony, B felony, C felony would include drugs such as cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, psilocybin mushrooms. If a person has prior convictions, they have sold, they have delivered, or they have manufactured these drugs before and have been convicted on at least two prior occasions, then their third occasion would classify them for this 100% service of sentence. Now, I'm sure you've noticed that I did say that they could be reduced up to 15%. In this second classification, the second group of offenses that I've listed, our legislatures have determined that if an individual sentenced to one of these offenses participates in various programs while in the penitentiary 
and they satisfactorily complete those programs, that they can have their sentence reduced up to 15%. What that percentage will be would be determined by the Tennessee Department of Corrections. At this point in time, it is out of our trial courts. We no longer control or the courts no longer have any say in the percentage or when they would be parole eligible. A different group of citizens called our parole board would make that determination. One other change that has occurred through our court system is what we call transparency in sentencing. It'll be under 4035210. This will also take effect for all sentencing hearings held on or after July 1st of 2022. In essence, it has set forth requirements of the court during a sentencing hearing. And this is for the purpose to ensure a fair and consistent sentencing. At a sentencing hearing, the court shall place on the record, either orally or in writing, the following. A, what enhancement or mitigating factors were considered by the court, if any. B, the reasons for the sentence. And C, which is the addition, the new part of what the legislature have added, for a sentence of continuous confinement, the estimated number of years and months the defendant will serve before becoming eligible for release. So as I told you before, ladies and gentlemen, when a court would set a sentence, it would be a six-year sentence at 30%. The court would not go into a detail of how much time you will have to serve prior to being release eligible. Now, our legislature has said during a sentencing hearing, they do want our courts to get into the fact if an individual is sentenced to, let's say, that six-year sentence at 30%, the court also then must include on the record that that would be an estimated 1.8 years of service. To assist our courts, the Department of Corrections will provide the court with a form to assist in determining the estimation or the estimation reference in the previous subsection. The estimation provided pursuant to that subdivision is not a basis for post-conviction relief or for a direct appeal of the defendant's sentence. What does that mean? In essence, what they're saying is if the court is mistaken or they get that estimation wrong when they tell the defendant what they would have to serve before being released, that will not be a basis for the Court of Criminal Appeals to reverse the trial court or for the defendant to say that they received ineffective assistance of counsel or that the court made a grave enough error that the Senate should be reconsidered. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your attention. That will be my segment on what's the law. This is MTSU President Sidney McPhee. You're listening to WGNS, your local connection to Blue Raider Athletics. WGNS AM, FM, online. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City, inviting your family to come do business with my family. Whether your friends have scales or feathers, we have the things for them here at Animal City. I think one of the best things at Animal City is our staff. We have a team of dedicated pet lovers and knowledgeable professionals to help you with your pet's needs. When you come see us, don't forget to check out our basement level. We have two full stories of pets and pet supplies. Come see us at Animal City, 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas's Restaurants. One of the places I love to eat out the most and still be able to do so and maintain a healthy weight is at Demas's. You can get those options on the menu online at www.demasrestaurants.com. 
You can make the decisions that you want to make before you come in. We have options ranging from grilled chicken to fish. You can get it with a side of green beans or spinach or even zucchini. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner at Demas's. I'm Payne Hardison and I'm a resident here at Adams Place. The food, the company, the exercise and everything is tremendous here and it's just a house full of friends. Well, it's a way for a person that needs care to lift that burden off of their family and to come here at Adams Place and thoroughly enjoy every day. I'm Terry Deal. Call me for more information about Adams Place, Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. Don't throw away old flags. WGNS retires old glory with respect. Bring those tattered Bibles here too. We're more than talk. What's the law? Time now for an examination of the laws of Tennessee. This is not intended to be legal advice and is being presented this is inside the, the courts. A look at this month's trials, pleas, and grand jury action. Inside the courts is presented as a courtesy of the Rutherford County Clerk's Office. Good morning, everyone. This is your district attorney, Jennings Jones. And in this segment, I will be your tour guide as I take you inside the courts. We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted. And of course, they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go inside the courts. On April 6th of this year, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to an apartment complex on Old Las Casas Road. The body of Mr. Ryan Wolcott was found laying on the floor of his apartment. He had been beaten and stabbed to death. Detective Julie Cox with the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as the lead investigator in this case. Alistair Jennings, one of Mr. Wolcott's roommates, has been developed as a suspect in Mr. Wolcott's death. Detective Cox's investigation has resulted in physical evidence and witness statements that connect Mr. Jennings to the murder of Mr. Wolcott. Mr. Jennings has been charged with first-degree murder. This matter is currently set in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County. The next court date is scheduled for August 3rd of next year. Pardon me, of this year. The defendant is represented by counsel Miss Barbara Pinlin Lefevers. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On September the 27th of last year, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Bivens Hill Road in reference to a shooting. Once on scene, deputies located Miss Tony Odom, the victim of a gunshot wound. Miss Odom died from her injuries. Detective Ty Downing with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department has been assigned as the lead investigator. After interviewing witnesses and reviewing physical evidence found at the scene, Erwin Odom, the victim's husband, was identified as the suspect. At the conclusion of the investigation, Mr. Odom was charged with first-degree murder. Mr. Odom is represented by Murfreesboro attorney Josh Crane. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Sarah Davis. This matter is set in the General Sessions Court pending completion of a mental health evaluation. On February 12th of this year, the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a parking lot on Middle Tennessee Boulevard in response to a shooting. Upon arrival, officers discovered at least five individuals who had been struck by gunfire. Two individuals had been shot multiple times, including Mr. Brandon Anderson, who later died from his injuries. Detective Cody Thomas has been assigned as the lead investigator. 
Upon conclusion of the investigation, Detective Jacob Fountain charged Mr. Jamar Marks with first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, three counts of aggravated assault, employing a firearm during commission of a dangerous felony, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and reckless endangerment with a deadly weapon. Mr. Marks is scheduled to appear before the General Sessions Court in Rutherford County on June 30, 2022. Mr. Marks is represented by Murfreesboro Attorney Josh Crane, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. On December 4th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department were dispatched to an apartment complex on North Rutherford Boulevard in reference to a shooting that resulted in the death of Mr. Montavious Jones. Mr. Jones was left laying in the parking lot of the apartment complex. Murfreesboro Detective Chris Pate was assigned as the lead investigator. After the shooting, Mr. Mikhail Boyd was located at St. Thomas Rutherford Hospital, having sustained a gunshot wound. Video surveillance footage showed Mr. Boyd being brought to the hospital by Mr. Tevin Campbell and Mr. Paul Turner. After a lengthy investigation that included interviewing witnesses, obtaining cell phone records, social media records, and expert witness reports, Detective Pate charged Mr. Boyd, Mr. Campbell, and Mr. Turner, along with Mr. Martavius Guy, with first-degree murder, attempted especially, attempted especially aggravated robbery, conspiracy to aggravated robbery, and employing a firearm during the commission of a dangerous felony. Mr. Guy's girlfriend, Mr. Pardon me, Miss Tibricia Lattimore has been charged with conspiracy to commit aggravated robbery and facilitation to attempted especially aggravated robbery. Mr. Boyd is represented by counsel, Mr. Art Quinn. Mr. Turner is represented by Casey Little. Mr. Guy is represented by Ben Powers, and Miss Lattimore is represented by Jeffrey Jackson. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. This matter is next set to appear in court on June 21st of this year in the General Sessions Courts of Rutherford County. On September 8th of 2019, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Journey Drive. Officers discovered Marquise Turner, who had been shot in the sidewalk after leaving an event at the Elks Lodge. Mr. Turner died from his injuries. Detective Cody Thomas of the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as lead investigator and developed Khalil Smith as a suspect. Upon the conclusion of the detective's investigation, Mr. Smith was charged with second-degree murder and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Khalil Smith is presently incarcerated at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center. Mr. Smith is represented by counsel Mr. Michael Offinger. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. A preliminary hearing was held on April the 6th of this year, and the General Sessions Court found probable cause to bind this matter over to the grand jury. This matter is now awaiting presentment to the, to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. On April 24, 2021, officers on patrol heard gunshots and responded to 1621 Middle Tennessee Boulevard. Officers found Mr. Shakur Ali, who had been shot and later died from his injuries. Apollo Cantrell was identified as the shooter and fled the state. Detective Richard Presley of the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as lead investigator in this matter. Through cooperation with the state of Iowa, Mr. Cantrell was apprehended. He is presently incarcerated at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center on charges of second-degree murder in possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. 
He is represented by Murfreesboro attorney Will Fraley. A preliminary hearing was held on February 7th of this year, and the General Sessions Court found probable cause to bind the matter over to the grand jury. This matter is now awaiting presentment to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. On February 6th of 2021, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting resulting in the death of 21-year-old Giovanni Gillis at a residence on Ewing Boulevard. Detective Cody Thomas has been assigned as lead investigator. Upon conclusion of Detective Thomas's investigation, Larry Johnson II has been charged with first-degree murder. Mr. Johnson is represented by counsel, Mr. Michael Flanagan, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. Following a preliminary hearing in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County, on May 5th of last year, the case was bound over to the grand jury, where it is awaiting presentment. On June 27th of 2018, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Old Las Casas Pike. Upon arrival, officers located Dylan Biddle Jr., who had sustained multiple gunshot wounds. Mr. Biddle later died from his injuries. Officers were also contacted about an unknown male that had been shot and was attempting to get into vehicles at the Reeves Rogers Elementary School. That male was later identified as Albert Mustafa. Detective Doug Arrington with the Murfreesboro Police Department was assigned as lead investigator. Multiple witnesses were interviewed and evidence on the scene was collected. Upon conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Mr. Mustafa and Devante James went to a residence on Old Las Casas with the intent to commit a robbery. Mr. Biddle was a guest at that residence. Mr. Mustafa and Mr. James entered the residence and attempted to rob Mr. Biddle. During the course of the attempted robbery, Mr. Biddle was shot and killed. Mr. Biddle was, however, able to return fire and Mr. Mustafa sustained a gunshot wound as a result. Mr. Mustafa and Mr. James were charged with first-degree felony murder, aggravated robbery, employing a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, and conspiracy to commit the same. Mr. Mustafa is represented by Murfreesboro attorney Mr. Thomas Parkerson, while Mr. James is represented by Mr. Russell Perkins. The state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. The next court date for both defendants has been set for July 6th of 2022. On October 24th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting that occurred at the intersection of North Tennessee Boulevard and Stonewall Boulevard. Officers discovered the body of Mr. Blake Bolton, who was the victim of two gunshot wounds. Murfreesboro Police Department Detective Albert Miles was assigned as lead investigator. Detective Miles has charged Cody Gilliam with the first-degree murder of Mr. Bolton. Following a preliminary hearing on March 23rd of 2021, the case was bound over to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. The Rutherford County Grand Jury indicted Mr. Gilliam for first-degree murder, especially aggravated robbery, burglary to an automobile, possession of meth with the intent to distribute, employing a weapon during the commission of a dangerous felony, and conspiracy to commit the same. Mr. Gilliam is represented by counsel Mr. Jeff Burton, while the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. The next scheduled court date in this case is July 21st of this year. Mr. Gilliam remains in the custody of the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center. On April the 9th of 2020, 
Officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a residence on North Rutherford Boulevard in response to a shooting resulting in the death of Mr. Stephen Lopez, Jr. Lead investigator Detective Richard Presley has charged Mr. James Evans III with the second-degree murder of Mr. Lopez, Jr. Mr. Evans waived his rights to a preliminary hearing and bound his case over to the grand jury. In March of 2021, a grand jury returned a true bill against Mr. Evans. Mr. Evans is represented by counsel, Mr. John Mitchell, and the state is represented by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. The case is next set to appear in court on July 21st of this year. And that will conclude today's look inside the courts. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, 1450. Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. I'm Storm 5 meteorologist, Bree Smith. You wanna hear what my favorite weather sounds like? Calm. But calm doesn't always happen in Murfreesboro, does it? Murfreesboro and Rutherford County have seen more than their fair share of severe weather. So when storms roll in, I want you to be ready to feel safe. Let the Storm 5 weather team protect you and your family. Murfreesboro, you're always on our radar. From calm to conviction. Time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. Our case study today takes us back to the night of March the 18th, 2002. The location is outside of the Hooker Bait and Tackle Shop, which is located on Jefferson Pike in the Walter Hill community of Rutherford County, Tennessee. 28-year-old Corey Talley is present at the location. Corey Talley was known in the community. He was a graduate of Laverne High School, where, in 1990, Corey helped lead his high school basketball team to the regional playoffs. Corey Talley was also a graduate of Middle Tennessee State University, and Corey Talley was employed as a manager in the music industry. While Corey Talley was at the Jefferson Pike location, two men approached him. The two men were 20-year-old Ante Henderson and 22-year-old Jason Crawford. As the two men approached Corey Talley, an altercation erupted. Crawford and Henderson were in the process of robbing Corey Talley. During the struggle, Ante Henderson helped Corey Talley as Jason Crawford fired two shots from his pistol. The shots struck Corey Talley. The two men searched Corey Talley's pockets. Items were taken from Corey Talley and his car. After shooting and robbing Corey Talley, 
the two men fled the scene, leaving Corey Talley on the pavement, dying from his wounds. The Rutherford County Sheriff's Office responded to the scene. The case was assigned to Detective David Haley. Through excellent police investigation, Jason Crawford and Ante Henderson were developed as suspects, and after being interviewed, Henderson and Crawford were both arrested and charged with the brutal robbery and murder of Corey Talley. Later that year, the Rutherford County Grand Jury indicted both Henderson and Crawford. Their cases were assigned to the courtroom of Rutherford County Judge Don R. Ash. Ante Henderson was represented by Murfreesboro attorney Greg Reed. Jason Crawford was represented by Murfreesboro attorney Carla Ford. The state prosecution team consisted of Rutherford County District Attorney General William C. Weitzel, Jr., and Assistant District Attorneys Tom Jackson and J. Paul Newman. After months of pretrial hearing dates, both Crawford and Henderson's cases were set for trial. But just days before the first trial was to begin, Ante Henderson decided that a trial would not be in his best interest. On January the 10th, 2003, Henderson re-entered the courtroom of Judge Ash. Henderson had decided to change his plea to guilty. Henderson had reached an agreement to settle his case. Ante Henderson pled guilty to second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit aggravated robbery. During the plea, Henderson testified that Jason Crawford shot and killed Corey Talley. Pursuant to the plea agreement, Judge Ash sentenced Henderson to serve 19 years for his part in the robbery and murder of Corey Talley. As part of the plea agreement, Henderson agreed to testify truthfully if called as a witness in the upcoming trial of Jason Crawford. Five days later, on January the 15th, 2003, Jason Crawford appeared in the courtroom of Judge Don Ash. Crawford had also decided not to let a jury decide his fate. Jason Crawford pled guilty to second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit aggravated robbery for his part in the murder and robbery of Corey Talley. Pursuant to the plea agreement, Judge Ash sentenced Jason Crawford to serve 40 years in the Tennessee Department of Corrections. The mother of Corey Talley was present for the plea. During the plea, the families of both Jason Crawford and Corey Talley cried openly. This was a very emotional case, and a case that is a splendid example of the dedication and professionalism of Detective David Haley and his fellow law enforcement officers who serve at the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. When From Call to Conviction Return, I will be joined by the lead investigator on this case, Captain David Haley. We're loud. We're proud. We're blue. 
WGNS AM and FM, your home for the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders. Good morning. It's moving right now, 24, as you head towards Nashville up through the Hickory Hollow area. It's getting just a little bit busy up there, but it hasn't been too bad. It's actually been lighter than normal out here coming down 24 through uh, Coffee County. Now, there's some radar out here, sections of 840 this morning around Sulphur Springs. Gatlinburg Wine Cellar, home of the world-famous cotton candy wine. Check them out at GatlinburgWineCellar.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Partial sunshine develops here this afternoon. We'll see a high in the mid-80s. Then for tonight, mostly clear skies, alone near 58. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 65. Once again, J. Paul Newman. Yes, we welcome now Captain Haley to the WGNS microphones. Captain Haley, tell us about yourself, such as where you grew up where you were educated, and what career paths that you have followed. Uh, good morning, first off. Uh, I grew up in Antioch, uh, Tennessee. I went to Antioch High School. Uh, after that, I went straight into the Air Force. I did six years in the Air Force. And then from the Air Force, I joined the Warner Robins Police Department, which is down in Warner Robins, Georgia. I did three years there at the local police department. My father got sick up in Tennessee. I loved it down in Georgia. I decided to move back up here. I got on at the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Uh, I've been there 26 years. Uh, along the way, I got my degree through Bethel, and I uh, attended the, while I was here at the Sheriff's Department, they've uh, sent me to the FBI Academy, uh, which is in Quantico, Virginia, and I've also attended uh, Northwestern School of Police Command. And I understand that you've worked in several divisions within the Sheriff's Department. What divisions have you been assigned to and supervised? Um, I started out in patrol. I went to SRO for, for a brief period. I uh, went into detective division, went back to patrol, and started making a little bit of rank here and there. And sometimes when you make rank at a sheriff's department, you do have to make some moves. And um, so I've been back to patrol um, as a lieutenant, a sergeant, a sergeant lieutenant, and as a captain. I went back to detective division as a captain. And now I'm over a criminal warrants and uh, Civil Warrants Division. Now, this was a case that we've just learned about that showed the professionalism and the efficiency of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department. Can you tell us who were the deputies and investigators who contributed to this case being solved so quickly and later so successfully prosecuted? It's a long list, but I can start off by saying the, the arriving officers were uh, Kelsey, uh, he was a deputy Kelsey, Sergeant Jones, and um, Deputy Holton. These guys were the first to arrive on scene once getting the call. They locked down the scene, uh, did CPR, life-saving measures, um, victim was transported, and then from there uh, I was I was given the call. I was on call detective. Uh, it was my first lead as an investigator uh, on a homicide. Luckily, they uh, had Detective Wharf was my assistant, and he was an experienced officer, been there a lot longer than me, and had a lot more experience. And the good thing about Detective Division is they, they give you people the whole way along, people that are good at writing search warrants, the guys that are best at finding people, some of the detectives that, you, you know, can give you advice just along the way, experienced or, or not experienced. But um, I, was, I was young, I was eager, and... and everybody contributed along the way and also I understand that that y'all attempted to give life-saving support to mr. Talley but 
Was Mr. Talley still alive when y'all arrived at the scene, or had he already passed away? Looking through the case file, because I wasn't there, I believe that he he was already deceased. But it was such they got there within minutes, and so they had to do everything that they could. Uh, he had um, two gunshot wounds, one being very, very critical. Uh, it was in the side of the hip, and it, it it went basically a gut shot, and it ended up bleeding out quite a bit. So when I arrived on the scene. I had nothing but a vehicle there because they had to take the body away. And back then, we didn't have um, the luxuries of video surveillance, and we didn't have any eyewitness testimony other than hearing the gunshots and seeing some taillights and possibly a red car leaving. So um, that was just some of the things on the scene at the time. And I understand that at the scene, you did not find the firearm or the weapon that was used to shoot Mr. Talley. But I think that Mr. Jack Keesling of the Sheriff's Department played an important role in recovering that weapon. Can you tell us what Jack did? That's one of the things I mentioned was having um, people that have so many different weapons in their arsenal. But Jack was a detective also and at the time, but he was also on the dive team. He's actually the dive team commander. And I remember when we got the information of possibly where the weapon was, it was in the Stones River. We had quite a bit of flooding at the time. And I remember telling Jack, I, I didn't know anything about a gun going to the bottom of a river, but I thought that it was going to be swept away. And if you know Jack, he's very confident, and he, he knew he could find that gun. And I remember him at the time just telling me a locate or give me a location, and we'll find that gun. And I remember spending all day out there that day in Stones River, and he did find that gun, and I was very surprised. Is Jack still with the Sheriff's Department? Uh, yes, sir, he is. And I, actually, is, today's his birthday, so happy birthday, Jack. This was an unusual case for many reasons, but what really stands out to me is was it was a serious felony investigation, but it resulted in quick arrest of the two assailants. How were y'all able to solve the case so quickly? Well, like anything, you need some some good breaks or, or some things to go your way. And I remember after that first day, me and Detective Worf, we really didn't have much. Um, like I said, no witness information back then cell phone technology is not what it is today we didn't have any uh, videos from the stores uh, so we didn't have much to go on so we I remember Crime Stoppers tip came in with somebody that kind of gave that they may have overheard something and so we really at the time that's all we had so we had to kind of go down that avenue and it ended up by getting that tip the person said that they were on the phone with somebody at the jail so we had go through the jail calls and we ended up finding a jail call where we heard somebody in the background say do you think he'll tell on me asking one of the inmates do you think he'll tell on me so we ended up figuring out who that person was and then we ended up figuring out who he was talking to and ended up coming to a lady that was working at Fazoli's restaurant well while she was working at Fazoli's restaurant somebody was in the background so we had to go back and see the work schedule and who was there and that ended up giving us our first basic lead and that's how we, we, we just kind of went from there and at going from there we found out that uh, we inter we interviewed the lady that was on the phone call and she ended up not really wanting to be too involved but enough information to get us started at least in the right direction and I understand that these phone calls 
the general public may think, gee, they're listening in on phone calls. How is that set up, and why is that not illegal to listen to those? You know, one thing I've never understood is the, the phone calls will tell you at the beginning that this these phone calls are monitored. And, um, but they still, and, I, and even back then, they talked in code on the phone because it took us a long time to figure out what was being said. But it, it's, it's a valuable tool, and it's going to be used every time if you get the chance. And I know sometimes there's people that's not going to say a thing, but there can just be one word in there or one statement, and it can get you at least going. And, and on this situation, we just heard a voice in the background say, Do you ask him if you think he'll tell. And that's all we had to go on, but it ended up getting the ball rolling, getting us in the right direction. And the phone calls, I think, served a dual purpose. They're investigative, but also if someone is planning an escape or something like that, they may call for outside help. And if you're monitoring those phone calls, then you're able to pick that up. Is that correct? That's right. And that's, that's one thing that needs to be monitored. Detective Haley, in this case, two people committed this very horrible crime. Looking back into the investigation, were you able to determine if they were both equally responsible or was one of the two a leader and the other a follower? I mean, that's up for interpretation, but to me, they both made similar decisions. They both decided to get in the car. They both decided to go. They both decided to do this robbery. And once the, the gunshots were fired, they both decided to rob the individual. And they both also decided to, to try to hide the crime. So I see equal responsibility, but a lot of people would probably think that the person that pulled the trigger, but I, I just think they were both equally responsible. And who was the person who actually pulled the trigger? Uh, Jason Crawford pulled the trigger. Ante Henderson was his passenger. After the shots were fired, um, Ante got out of the car and held Corey on the ground while the robbery commenced to take place. And the robbery was of the person and of the car. What items, if you remember, did they take from both the car and the person? One of the interesting things when I got there was we had nothing but a car. We had a vehicle there, but you could tell there was a lot of disturbance on the ground. And the disturbance on the ground was from the, the actual fight itself. And um, one of the things that we found was the glove box was open and the trunk was shut, but the uh, antenna was shut inside of the trunk you could tell antenna was shut inside the truck and i remember being on the scene that day with mark we actually initially thought there might be a passenger in the the trunk of the car just because we had a large amount of blood we had a disturbance all over the car and there was no reason for that antenna to be stuck down in the trunk but what we found out was they popped the the um trunk of the car to get the stereo equipment out of the back of the trunk. What can you tell us about the shooter, Jason Crawford? At the time, he didn't have a huge criminal record. Um, we just knew he, he, was, he was actually related to the individual. He was a cousin of Corey Talley's. But other than that, they, neither one of them had anything that was, that was very violent um, in their record that, that kind of stood out, maybe some, some violations or probation violations, things of that matter. Let's shift now to Ante Henderson. What can you tell us about him? I, I just learned when researching this um, through yourself that, that Ante had passed away in prison at, or had passed away at the age of 34. Um, but he was also, he was the individual that worked at Fazoli's and he had a job. And um, 
he was moving right along but i i think that night they they made a decision together they were friends to go to go do this detective haley we want to thank you and the other members of the rutherford county sheriff's department for the excellent work that was performed in bringing these two dangerous criminals to justice As we end our program today, we thank WGNS for providing the airtime, and we thank our producer, Scott Walker, and we thank our special guest, Captain David Haley, from the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Most of all, we thank you for listening. Our next scheduled broadcast is Friday morning, July the 1st at 8.10 a.m. on your good neighbor station, WGNS, we leave by saying, a safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my two co-hosts, Jennings Jones and Trevor Lynch, this is Paul Newman, bidding all of you a safe and blessed day. The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice.